Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Today's scripture reading will be from Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 17. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and, and he shall be your servant forever. Also to your female servant, you shall do likewise. Good morning. I want you to open God's book, please, to Second Peter chapter 1. If you want an outline of the sermon, you may have it by leaving that passage open on your lap. Second Peter, the first chapter. It's wonderful to see you. And Paul was right. It's a beautiful day. And I got my two miles in this morning in between the showers out there. And it was just wonderful. This... Uh, this time right now in the church at West Huntsville, it's not so terribly unique, but it does, it does benefit us to pause and think about it. We have um, lost Johnny Coppett, the funeral this past week, and Carol Dodd. That's not so unusual for people to go to glory from West Huntsville. People have been doing that a long time. And at the same time, and we ought to pause about this too, Ben and Lindsay have a new baby, Addie, little girl. We'll introduce Addie to you later. I cannot think of a better place to go to glory from than right here. And I do not believe that there's any reason that anybody in the West Huntsville Church should ever miss heaven. Second Peter chapter 1 is an interesting chapter. Well, Second Peter itself is interesting, and I think it's most interesting because of chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. Now, <clears throat> you, you understand, uh, if I said that, that Paul has an important passage in which he talks about um, his demise, you'd know what that was. That's a very familiar thing in Second Timothy chapter 4, and I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand, fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished the course, and etc. But did you know that Peter... Likewise, has such a passage. I, I think that's a little more obscure, but it's found in our text for this morning. It's in Second Peter chapter one, twelve through fifteen. I'm going to talk about that some more in just a couple of minutes. And and so Second Peter, though of course by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is is in that context. I'm not going to be here very long. And and when we talk about God's people and them knowing that they're about to be transported to the other side through that valley, those words are really important. I mean, we, we pay attention to people's last words, don't we? 
Now, it doesn't make a lot of difference when you talk about people in the Bible who lost their lives and they didn't know they were going to lose their lives. Sometimes those words are just, you know, I mean, you have Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, and his last words were, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That doesn't matter very much. Or Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, and so far as I can tell, her last words were, yes, for, for so much. Okay. When do you talk about talk about Samson, Judges 16, and his last words were, let me die with the Philistines. It's a microcosm of, of all that you know about Samson. In Acts chapter 7, and you think about Stephen, and his last words were, lay not this sin to their charge. Oh, oh, you, you, just, you just ponder those words, and it's about so very much he'd been preaching Christ, preaching the Old Testament and bringing him up to Christ, and now they're going to take his life. But we understand something about this Christianity old Stephen was preaching because of those last words. And the, the last words of my Lord, Luke chapter 23, and he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So much is in there. So much is in there. So when you get to Second Peter, which is our chapter for this morning. And I just want to do an expository in the next few minutes. Let's just go verse to verse. The first verse starts out this way. Here's number one. He said, I'm a, I'm a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think the order is interesting. He didn't say I'm an apostle and a servant. I'm a servant. Now that word servant is the Greek word doulos. And doulos is the word for, are you ready for this? Slave. It means I'm a slave. Now he's a voluntary slave. But I'm telling you, he belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, Christians understand something about being God's slaves. We get that. In our generation, this, this younger generation sitting to my right has grown up with this song, Take Me to Your Door, O Lord. And it's about this point. It's about slavery to God. It is about voluntary voluntarily turning myself over to him, and he owns me, and I live for him. Deuteronomy chapter 15, and, and it was just read for you. We got that. What you may not have thought about, though, is that through the Old and New Testaments, a lot of the greats described themselves or were described by this kind of terminology. I mean, so you have Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 5, and Moses, get it, a servant of the Lord. It's the, it's the Hebrew word for doulos, slave, slave of the Lord. Or Joshua chapter 24, and, and the Bible says that Joshua was a servant of the Lord. Second Samuel chapter 3 verse 18, and it's David, and David, it is said, was a servant or a slave of the Lord. Get the New Testament and just be overwhelmed with this. I mean, it's just everywhere. Read writer after writer, great man after great man, and this is how he was described. And so Paul, of course, I mean, you have Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Titus chapter 1 and verse 1, Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, and Paul is a slave of the Lord. That's what he is, slave of the Lord. Jude, Jude 1, verse 1, Jude, slave of the Lord. It was just abundant. That's what they, James, James chapter 1 and verse 1, James, a servant or a doulos, a slave of the Lord. When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and verse, about verse 18, and he said that, that the Lord's going to bring his spirit on his manservants and his maidservants. How do you like that? Slaves. 
these people who would be his slaves, voluntary slaves. And I know something about slaves, and so do you, and that is that they don't have any rights. They gave them over. They, they gave them up. And so Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2, and you're dead and your life is hid with God in Christ Jesus. I have a hammer in my shop right now, unless somebody's taken it. It's there. It's on the rack in my shop. It's a hammer. It belongs to me. It's sanctified for my use, set apart for my use. When I use it, it does what I want it to do most of the time. But uh, that, that hammer is my, at my disposal. It's what you and I are. We're slaves to God. At the, at the, well, what that does to me is not only define my life, but it defines, I mean, Christianity is not a part of my life. And if you, if you start thinking like that, that Christianity is that I come to church on Sundays, I'm a, you're going to miss it. That's not it. It's never been it. It's, it's slavery. It is, it is voluntary servanthood. I, I give myself over. That's what Christianity is. Now, aside from how that defines me, it also has an effect on how I look at you. See, because we're fellow slaves, and slaves understand slaves. Right? And so what was read in Deuteronomy chapter 15, and here's the second thing I want to say about that passage, is that this is, this is the law of God regarding Hebrew slaves. And, and after seven years or six years, the seventh year, you turn them loose, and you make sure that they have enough provision so that they can make a life for themselves. Turn them loose. And maybe people would pause and take a deep breath. And then, and then the Bible says, Moses writes, I want you to remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And then how do you respond? And the answer is, of course I will release them. Of course I will give them provision. Of course I'm going to let them go because I understand about slavery. I was a slave. I got it. Now, how does that affect the church? How does that affect you and the way you see the people around you? Now, we're different. Look around you. We're all different. And sometimes those differences have divided people. I mean, in the world, that's how that is. And sometimes even in churches it happens because some group has a different economic level or a different education level, maybe a different ethnic level or different whatever. I mean, just, just all the differences that we have. But what if we all start on this fundamental basic ground that says we're slaves? We're, we're a group of slaves. And I'll tell you what happens is that you get to the book of Philemon. And Philemon is a slave owner and Onesimus is his slave. And we can talk about we can talk about the next Sunday after Philemon got this letter from Paul saying, Onesimus, your runaway slave has come back, and I want you to treat him now not just as a slave, but as a brother. Now what happens? Now you can talk about how that next Sunday, very possible, Onesimus, the slave owner, is serving the Lord's Supper to Philemon, the slave, and they sit next to one another and they sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How is that possible? It's possible if people understand that they're slaves. And so you start this. Now bear in mind that this is the chapter in which Peter is saying, I'm going to die. And I'm going to talk some more about that because that's just fascinating, the context in which that is. But, but the point is that he starts out saying, I'm a slave. I, I'm a slave and a servant of Jesus Christ. Now look at the next verse. Read on with me. Incidentally, I'm not going to go this slow through the whole sermon. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now look at each other. Now look at, this, look at this group around you. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is your family. 
They are fellow slaves. And so all those superficial things which divide people all around us and the world, all that sort of just melts away and it just evaporates. And he says that we have obtained a like precious faith. See, we're alike. We are alike. Now, there are seven things that are characteristic of these people, the people who are the slaves of Jesus. And that's the second thing I want to observe. So let's just rather quickly walk through these seven things. And the first one is they believe in absolute truth, absolute universal truth. Verse 3, as his divine power has given us to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's a huge description of the word of God. He's given us all things. How much is left after all? Nothing. All things that pertain to life and godliness. I I spoke to a wonderful group of college students on Friday night, Fried Hardeman students, and they had their retreat, and I went and spent a few minutes, and I got to talk with them. And I, I, I talked to verse at one point and made the observation that it could be that the most, the greatest, most serious challenge to them in their faith in the rest of their lives could be this very point, the existence of absolute universal truth. Does it exist? Is it the word of God? Is it the Bible? Is this universal absolute truth or not? Now, I want you to get these words then because Peter says, who, by the way, is about to die for his faith? That's the context. Better take it seriously. And Peter says, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It It is universal because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's universal. It is absolute because it deals with this life, the entire life, and with our eternity. So Matthew 25 and 46, these shall go away to everlasting destruction, but the righteous into life eternal. It's, a, it's about forever and ever. And here's the first thing in the seven things that these people who are slaves to Jesus Christ have. The first one is they hold to absolute universal truth. Now verse 4, by which have been given to us exceeding, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. They're partakers of the divine nature. Now, that's not merely in the fact that they were born. Let's make man in our image. It is, this is a context of being Christians. Now, Hebrews 12 and verse 10 says that, that when you follow the, the, the discipline of the Lord, that you are partakers of his holiness. So when you live your life to follow the teachings of the New Testament, And thus, guided by God, you partake of his holiness. Or to say it a different way, you're a partaker of the divine nature. And here's the next one. Having escaped, this is number three, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Everybody in here ought to pause and think about it. Take a deep breath on that one. I, I, uh, I made a debt I could not pay. And when you became a Christian, you came to him with your sins. And when you came up out of that water, your sins were washed away. And now you are in Christ. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7 says that if you will continue walking in Christ, that there is no condemnation, that you are continually forgiven of your sins. If you will walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. If you will walk in Christ, that we live forgiven. And this is, this is a remarkable statement. We are all escapees. You and I 
are escapees. What is it like if you're a slave of Jesus Christ? You escaped, and today you ate the Lord's Supper. And didn't we eat it in a rather unusual way? Out of trays. Who ever heard of that? Seems like the old times, doesn't it? You ate the Lord's Supper, and when you did, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you, you examined yourself, and you ate of that bread, and you drank of that cup. And when you examined yourself, you know what you thought about? You thought, I think of all the sins that I've been forgiven for, all the things. I, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed because of the blood on that cross. Because of that, I'm redeemed. You know what you call that? Escape. You escaped the consequence of those sins because of the blood. Now keep on going. Here's verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. And this, these are some very famous verses, the Christian graces. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, I would make Number four, then, characteristic of the slaves is that they work hard in their faith. Every day they're striving to be, to be better. They, they want to be better. And, and, and that's very important because of the fifth one. Go to number five, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. They're saved by grace. And God keeps them saved if they walk in the light. At the same time, they're working to be faithful every day. And they understand that, that their salvation has some conditions attached to it. Salvation has a conditional aspect. That's true about people who are slaves to Jesus Christ. Now, here's number six out of seven. Verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are people who anticipate heaven. Because you don't look at them and say, yeah, but those people didn't sin. Those people never made any mistakes. Those people never slid. Those people, that's not true. They were human beings just like you. Just like you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says that God made provision for Christians when they sometimes slip, when they sometimes sin. He made a provision, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so what this says is that these people, despite the fact that they're human beings and that they sometimes do wrong, they're faithful and they strive, they work hard, and they know that their obedience is connected to their salvation and they're faithful. And verse 11 says they anticipate heaven. And here's the last one of these. Number seven, it starts with verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, I'm going to keep reminding you. Yes, I think it's right. As long as I'm in this tent, physical body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that I shortly must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Now, can we bring up John 21? Yeah, good. In John 21, this is back at the beach. You remember when when uh, after the death of Jesus and Peter and the fellows, they go fishing and they're so sad because Jesus has been crucified and they're out there fishing and they're not catching anything. And so then they just, there's this, Jesus, they, they, they catch a ton of fish and Peter says, it's the Lord. And he 
rips off his garment, he just jumps in and swims toward the beach. And then they have food there, and Jesus on that occasion said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. But that's not all that he said. He also said this to Peter. When you were young, you, you went where you wanted to go, but, but when you get old, you're going to, somebody's going to spread out your hands, and you're going to go where you do not want to go. Now, you might look at that and say, that's ambiguous. I don't know what that means. Does that mean the death of Peter? Well, yeah, actually it does, because the next verse says, Jesus said this signifying what death he would die. Now, I think it's very interesting that when Peter then writes Second Peter all these years later, that that's what he would remember. Well, I reckon he would. Would you? Would you remember that? And so now Peter reflects on that and says, it's time, and this is what Jesus told me would happen. So he, he knows Maybe Jesus has spoken to him since then, I don't know, to remind him, but this is, this is what he knows, and he identifies it. Now, there's one more thing I want to show you from this dying man is, is this. He remembers one more thing. It was, a, it was a miracle of Jesus, and it's from Matthew 17. If you have your own Bible in the, in the margin, you might want to write Matthew 17, if you have a paper Bible. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, pause before we jump into this and, and reflect on the fact that Peter has seen a ton of miracles from Jesus. I, I, I think that, that Peter is at this time about my age, by the way, and during the time, the three years that he's been, he was part of the ministry of Christ on earth. He saw a lot of miracles. He saw a lot of people healed from their diseases. He saw people raised from the dead. He saw Jesus walk on the water. He, he saw miracles. And he was at the Mount of Transfiguration. And when it comes down to this chapter, which one did he remember the most? And this, the answer is, the, the one that rises to the surface was the Mount of Transfiguration. This is just huge. It's just, it's just huge. And I, would, I hope it's this way in your life. In, in John chapter 20 and verse 31, you know, many other signs, the, the miracles, and these are written that you might believe. Which, which miracles stand out in your mind? For, for Peter, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to this mountain, and, and he is transfigured before them. That is, his, his face shines like the sun, and his garment is white. And, and they're standing with him, Moses and Elijah, both of whom have long been dead. And they're talking to Jesus about his upcoming crucifixion. And you say, why, why, did, the, what, what, why did the Mount of Transfiguration happen? That's hard to figure out. You remember Peter gets nervous and he says, let's build three tabernacles, which everybody ignores. And then you have a cloud descend and God from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Not Moses, not the old law, not Elijah, not the prophets. I want you to hear Jesus Christ. This is what you follow. This is who you follow. And when Peter now is about to finish his life, and he wants to say, live faithfully. Hold on to your faith. Don't turn loose of your faith. Keep a handle on the absolute universal truth that comes from God. Hold on. Hold on. He says this, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Don't you think it's funny that we have so many cunningly devised fables in theology today that people purport to try to pull us away from the Bible? They had them then too. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were our eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God 
the Father, honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard his voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have, and you probably want to underline the first to 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. All right, so in Peter's mind, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, and I think he's pointing primarily to the messianic prophecies about Jesus coming. I mean, this morning before we ate the Lord's Supper, Tom read to us from Isaiah 53. Surely that's one of these. Because you read it and you say, wow, that's amazing. What is that? Centuries, seven centuries or so before Jesus. And yet it talks about the crucifixion. That's amazing. Peter had read those. Peter knew about Isaiah 53. But when he was at the Mount of Transfiguration, there was something about that miracle that clicked with him. And he, he, I don't mean that he didn't, he doubted. He was faithful and strong and all of that. But there was something about that. He saw, he saw Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. There they were. He heard God's voice. There must have been something very distinctive about that voice that when it came from heaven, he knew it was from God. And, and now he looks back and he says, I want you to know I'm an eyewitness. And those prophecies are true. They're right. God's prophecies through these prophets were confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Life is kind of like that sometimes. This old world's kind of like that, isn't it? Aren't there times in your life when things seem dark? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The Lord's coming back. He's coming back. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That doesn't mean, as Catholicism presses, that you've got to have somebody in the priesthood to read the Bible to you because you can't get it. That's not what that's about. What it's about, if you just keep reading on here, is that he's talking about the fact that those, those prophecies did not originate with those men. Those prophecies did not originate with men. For prophecy never came by the will of man, 21. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's where it came from. It was God breathed. Now, so here you have this, this remarkable book, Second Peter, three chapters. And here's the first one in which he says, Jesus told me I was going to have to shed this tent. What's well, about time now? I knew it was going to happen. And don't you love that terminology, by the way? He didn't, he didn't say, I'm going to be executed. It's not fair. It's unjust. And I hate injustice. And you stop them from doing this to me. You stop them from killing me. Or you, after I'm gone, if they, if they fulfill this and they take my life, you be sure and, and vindicate me and defend my name. And none of that, none of that. It's just very, very gentle. He says, I'm about to shed my tent. I'm about to shed the tent. He's going on to glory. Any question about that, Peter? I mean, is that really what's going to happen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. Uh, tradition says that he was crucified upside down. Because he didn't want to, he didn't feel worthy of being crucified like Jesus was. I don't know that, but it sure does sound in John 20 like what's described as crucifixion, doesn't it? To stretch out his hands like that. And what he says is, I'm a slave and you're my fellow servants with me. You, we're the same, you and me, we're the same. And there are seven important characteristics and, and here they are and I don't want you to turn them loose. I don't want you to ever forget, hold on to these fundamental things. And then he says, because I know, 
I know this is true. I'm an eyewitness. I was on the mountain, don't you see? I was on the mountain and I saw it. And the prophecies are true. They didn't come by the will of man. They came by the Holy Spirit. You can trust this. That's what he says. Well, can you trust Peter? Well, I suppose you can. He's about to die for this. He's going to die for this. This truth. Don't you love the Word of God? It is, it is where we learn about heaven. Scripture is where we learn there's a heaven. Scripture is where we learn about hope and mercy and the kind of God that we have. And aren't you thankful? I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Have you, have you obeyed the gospel? Do you, do you know what it is to be in Christ? Wouldn't you love to become a Christian? That would be such a good time. And you can obey the gospel. If you want to repent of your sins, you're ready. You've been studying. I know what I've got to do. Repent of your sins. That's a change of heart, change of your life. Confess him and to be baptized, to have your sins washed away. Maybe, maybe you've done that, but you need to be restored. Or for some reason, you need the prayers of Christians. We'll be so happy to stop what we're doing and pray right now for you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.